certain dates that we observe, and we observe those dates due to an event that took place. I think about December 7th, 1941. It's a date that will live in infamy. We think about November 22nd, 1963, and, and maybe those numbers don't mean anything to you, but you know where you were on the day that JFK was assassinated. July 20th, 1969, I remember it well. I was just probably about four, five, six months old. It was when the man first set foot on the moon. Now, we may not know July 20th, 1969, but, but we know those images. Uh, one small step for man, one large step for mankind. And that's a date that we remember. And, and when, that year, when that part of the year comes around, it's usually on the news. It's, it's televised, and, and we're reminded of that event. Of course, September 11th, 2001 is one of those events that's on the forefront of our mind that we, that we remember often. It's hard to believe, but it's already been 20 years ago. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago. But that's one of those dates that, that sticks out in our mind. As we look at those dates, as we think about those dates, they're kind of dates that stick out, but there's nothing that really leads us to that date. There's things that happened before that have made that date possible, but we really don't celebrate any of those dates before that event. This morning, we're pausing to consider when God took on human flesh and dwelt among us. Last time we talked about Emmanuel, God with us, and we meditated on that thought. And this week I've been mindful of that thought, that God would step into his creation. We're celebrating this week the, the date that he took on that human flesh. And, and this date is significant. It's a date to be celebrated. But this date that we are celebrating is not a date that stands alone. It doesn't stand alone because the reason Jesus came was not only to dwell among us. The reason that Jesus came was to give his life a ransom for many. This morning, as we focus our attention on Christmas and as we think about the baby in a manger, and I'm so thankful that we sing away in a manger, we want to pause and we want to take a look at Calvary this morning. And we want to be mindful of what Calvary means to us. And, and Calvary means something to us. And that's why the baby in a manger means something to us. Those two dates, Christmas and Easter, go hand in hand. Without Easter, Christmas is not that important. Without Christmas, we don't have Easter. Those two dates go hand in hand. And this morning, we're going to remind ourselves that he came to a manger because he was on his way to the cross. I remember a number of years ago, I saw a Christmas card, and I didn't think too much about it, but I haven't seen it since, so I think about it every time. But there was a picture of a baby in a manger, and it had the star, and the star cast a shadow of the cross over that manger. And that's what we want to look at today. That's what we want to think about we want to think about Emmanuel, God with us, but why? Why would he leave everything behind in heaven to be 
with us. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. I wasn't sure where we would be this morning. And uh, Friday, we were getting ready for our men's Bible study, and I was reading in the book of Hebrews. And I read Hebrews 9, and I read Hebrews 10, and both of them are so powerful as to what Christ has done for us that I knew this is where we would be. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Once you find that in your Bible, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'll read it aloud, and you can follow along with me in your copy of the, of the Scriptures. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it's written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Father, we are grateful for this morning that you've given us. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, I pray you would open it to us. Open our hearts. Open our minds. Let us drink in what you have for us. Lord, there's nothing that I can share that's going to be of any value. So I pray, Lord, that you would share with us this morning. That your Holy Spirit would open our minds and give us understanding. And Lord, I pray that as we leave here this morning, we'll be able to say that we have heard from you. And it's in your son's perfect name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Now as we look at this passage this morning, there are simply two headings that we're going to use to kind of steer us and navigate us through this. The first thing we see is the shadow. And that's in the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 10. And the second thing we see is the substance. And we're going to look at those in verses 5 through 10. Now, as we look at the shadow here in verses 1 through 4, the first thing that he speaks about, the writer of Hebrews, is the law. Uh, I really lean, no one really knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. I lean towards the Apostle Paul. I'll try not to say the Apostle Paul, but when I do, that's because I kind of lean towards him being the writer of Hebrews. So as we come to verse 1 here of Hebrews chapter 10, we read this. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, 
instead of the true form of these realities. Now, the writer of Hebrews is speaking about the law of God. That's what he's referring to. The law and the sacrificial system that God put into place. He gave that to Moses, and Moses recorded that for the Israelites. As the Israelites were leaving Egypt in the Exodus, they had been living there that entire time for 400 years under the influence of the gods of Egypt. And so as God brought them out of Egypt and was sending them and directing them and leading them to the promised land, he laid out instructions. He laid out the law so they would know how to worship the one true God. And God gave those instructions to Moses. And within that was the sacrificial system. They would come and they would offer up sacrifices for their, for their sins. Now, the, the sacrificial system, as we look at it in the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus, was simply a shadow of the things that were to come. It was simply just a shadow of what God was going to reveal later in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is sharing with us right here. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true. Now, we know that shadows are not the real thing. I remember as a kid walking down the road and the sun would be setting behind me. And if I walked just right, it made me look like I was like 15 feet tall. Because the shadow would be that long. Now, I was in third grade, so I was only five foot. But I could make that shadow go long and look like I was tall. And I could stand certain ways and it made me look like I was more muscular or I could look skinnier. Uh, I could do all of those things. And, and shadows are amazing things that way. And I've seen people take shadows and create some great artistic things. Uh, I remember one time in art class, my, my friend just kind of held his hand like this uh, up. And he drew, he traced his shadow on, on a piece of paper. And it was such a cool hand uh, image that even as sixth graders, we were amazed that he had that much artistic talent to begin with. But that shadow just kind of, it didn't show us the real thing, but it was just an image of what it was. Now, we know that a shadow has no substance. The sh a shadow has no substance. A shadow of a key will not unlock a door, no matter how hard we try. It will not unlock a door. The shadow of Calvary cannot take away sin. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is, is laying out for us. As we look at Judaism, and as we look at even Judaism today, it is a shadow of what Calvary was all about. And even the shadow of Judaism has changed over the years. Uh, currently, they do not have a temple. The temple was destroyed when Jerusalem was invaded. Uh, and so they do not have a temple. So even when they, when they worship, when they, when they celebrate the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, as they call it today, uh, it's not actual celebration because they can't offer sacrifices. So even Judaism today, the shadow of Judaism, is even a weaker shadow than what it used to be. We only see the fulfillment of that shadow in Jesus Christ and on Calvary. Now, as verse 1 continues, read this. It can never, 
by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Now, under the old covenant that God gave to Israel there and gave to Moses, under that old covenant, sacrifices were continually offered. Now, those sacrifices did not make anyone perfect. These sacrifices could not clear their consciences. Uh, they had to be offered again and again. And the Day of Atonement was something that was celebrated every year. It was once a year they would gather and they would celebrate the Day of Atonement. And that would be the time when a sacrifice for sin for the nation of Israel was offered up. And that was done every year. It wasn't perfect. It didn't take away the sin. It had to be done every year. The sacrificial system didn't bring remission of sin. The sacrificial system simply brought a reminder of sin. Every year as that animal sacrifice was brought, or every time that a family brought their animal sacrifice, it was a reminder of the sin that they had committed. Because they had to choose their best lamb, they had to choose their best goat, they had to choose their best dove, or their best pigeon, whatever the sacrifice was, and offer that sacrifice. And so it was a, it was a reminder of, of what sin is all about, the, the cost of sin, and what sin really is. It didn't take away the sin, it just reminded them of their sin. This is Hebrews 10, 11. You can drop down and read it with me if you like. In verse 11 it says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. They had to continually offer those sacrifices because they were just reminders of sin. They didn't take away their sin. You know, when we take our car to the mechanic and the mechanic doesn't fix it, we take it back. And if he didn't fix it, we take it back. If he didn't fix it, we take it back. But if we don't see the mechanic for a year or two, he figures that it's fixed, right? Because the problem hasn't come back. It's been repaired. They kept going to the to the tabernacle, to the temple, and have their have their sacrifices offered because it didn't take away sin. It was just simply a reminder of sin. And notice it says, which never takes away sin. Look at verse 4 now. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, in your Bible, does it say the word impossible there? Or does anybody say it's not probable? Does anybody say it's not real difficult? Does anybody say it's highly unlikely? It's impossible. It's impossible. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away away sins. The Day of Atonement just covered sin, the sin of Israel, but it didn't remove the sin of Israel. It was done every year, and they had to do it again the next year. The Levitical system was not designed to remove or forgive sin. The Levitical system was designed as a shadow of what was to come. Last night I was reading 
Um, and I read a little illustration about this, and I thought it was very applicable for us. If a businessman has an idea for a business, and he goes to the bank, and he shares his idea for his business plan with the banker, and he says, I need X amount of dollars for this upcoming year, and this is going to be my business, and I'm going to pay it off in a year. And the banker says, you know, that's a really good idea, but that's a lot of money. Do you have somebody who could stand beside you and sign a promissory note? And he says, I sure do. I have a rich uncle, and he'll sign the promissory note. So the banker says, okay, you can have this loan for one year. Now, the loan doesn't work out. The business doesn't work out. So when the year is up, he comes to repay, and he can't repay. And he tells the banker, I can't repay but I know if I just had that same amount of money for another year, this business would really take off. And the banker says, I don't know if I can do that for you for another year. And he says, my uncle will sign a promissory note, and he will give you the money if I can't. And the banker says, okay, let's do it for another year. And let's say the same year, this year works out the way the first year did. And he does the same thing the third year. And he does the same thing the fourth year. And he does the same thing the fifth year. There's nothing that this man has that's going to be able to repay that debt. But his uncle is willing to sign the promissory note every year. And his uncle is good for the debt. That is the sacrificial system. That is how the sacrificial system works. The sacrificial system, as they brought their animals in, that was a promissory note. The Jews continued to accumulate sin debts. And the uncle, the one who signs the promissory note, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I'm good for this. I'm good for this. I will pay what they owe you. And the Jews, as they brought their animals in, they're like, this is good, this is good. It was just that piece of paper that wasn't worth anything except for the signature that was on it. The signature of Jesus Christ. And that's what they did. As the sacrificial system operated, they were looking forward to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the sacrifice Jesus would bring would be enough of a sacrifice to cover all of those promissory notes. And he would take away the sins of the world. That was the shadow. The sacrificial system was the shadow. Now, we want to look at the substance. Look at verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world. Now, the writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8 right here. In Psalm 40, 6 through 8, this is a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. It was in eternity past, and they were deciding on Jesus' descent, on Jesus coming into this world. And this is what we are celebrating this week. This is what we've been celebrating this month. It's Jesus coming into this world, the incarnation of Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. The time when Jesus came and Jesus tabernacled among us. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, 
That is so simply put right there, isn't it? Christ came into the world. Just kind of a matter of fact, the coming of Christ. So simple. John mentions it in John 1, verse 14. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So simple. He became flesh and dwelt among us. No explanation. He just dwelt among us. Verse 5 continues. It says, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Sacrifices had become an external thing only. They offered up sacrifices, but their hearts were far from God. And that's what God desired, was their hearts to be near to Him. They were trusting in the outward form. But those sacrifices did not take away sin. They were just that promissory note of the future sacrifice that was going to come. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22 says this, Samuel said, As the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. God refused their empty sacrifices. Because of their disobedience, God refused their empty sacrifices. This is Amos 5, verse 21. God says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. You see, God is concerned about the heart. That's where God's concern is. God desires to walk in obedience. God desires us to walk in righteousness. This is what David shared in Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The sacrificial system, even though it was a shadow of the things that God was going to do in the future, the sacrificial system had become a meaningless religious ritual. Their hearts were far from God. They were going through the outward motions, but it meant nothing to them. They were just going through it because that's what they were instructed to do. And Grandpappy did it, so we're doing it as well. And that was kind of the mindset that was going on in that day and age. But God desires more than just empty rituals. This was Mark 12, 33. To love them with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength. To love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. You see, God desires our love for Him from our heart. He doesn't desire the outward rituals, but they thought those outward rituals was what was drawing them close to God. They were missing the meaning of the shadow, and they missed the Messiah as He was standing right in front of them, saying, I'm the fulfillment of all of those things. They were upset with that. They mocked Him, and they... they did not follow him. They did not believe him. They rebelled against him. But look at verse 5 as it continues. But a body have you prepared for me. That's the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That is God becoming flesh and dwelling 
among us. This has been God's all plan all along. It wasn't that the shadow of the sacrificial uh, system didn't do enough. It was God's plan all along. It was just a picture. It was just a photograph. Imagine if your parents chose for you who you were to marry, and you got a picture in the mail of your spouse-to-be, and you held that for a couple of three years, and you were excited about it, and you looked at that, and you, you, you were in love with your spouse before you even met them. And then they showed up at your door. And even though they were there in all of their radiant, handsomeness, beautiness, you still chose to hang on to your photograph. Doesn't make sense, does it? But that's exactly what Israel had done. All of these pictures of Jesus Christ, and when Jesus Christ stood before them, they said, hey, we're going to hold on to the picture. We love these pictures. Jesus came, this body that was prepared for him was a body that was not tainted with sin. Romans 8, 3 says this, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned in the flesh. Jesus was without sin. His body was not tainted by sin. He was in the likeness of man, but he was not sinful. He was without sin. And Jesus came just at the right time in history. Just at the time when God wanted him to come, he came. Galatians 4, 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the fullness of time had come, all according to God's plan, the pictures were developed and the reality, the substance was there in front of them. We don't have the details of how that happened. It's called a miracle for a reason. But the angel simply told Mary this in Luke 1, 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And he came, and he tabernacled among us. And he came to do the Father's will. Verse 7 says this, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it's written of me in the scroll of the book. Just as it was written, just as it was recorded in the Old Testament, Jesus did just as he was to do. He carried out the will of God. Jesus came and carried out God's complete will, and he did it willingly. Sometimes we hear that it was against his will. This was some kind of, of deity child abuse. It wasn't that way at all. Jesus Christ willingly came, knowing what God's will was, knowing what God's plan was, knowing what God's program was. Jesus Christ came and fulfilled it perfectly. He took all of man's sin upon himself. We read this in Mark 14, verse 36. It says, He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he went to the cross. He wasn't worried about 
about the pain that he was going to endure. He wasn't worried about the suffering that he was going to endure. But he was going to experience that moment when sin was placed on him. And that, as he thought of that, Lord, if there's another way, let there be a different way. But Christ went to the cross because it was God's will. And Christ willingly did that. And Christ is the only offering that God took perfect pleasure in. This is Matthew 3.17. The old voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Christ, as he went to that cross and gave his life as our sacrifice, he was a fragrant aroma that was pleasing to the nostrils of the Father. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2 say this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. The old system was set aside. The old system was set aside because it was just a photograph. It wasn't the real thing. And now with Christ on the cross, the old system was set aside and the real was here. Hebrews 10 verse 8 says this, When he said above, You have neither desired nor have pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. The writer of Hebrews gives us a commentary on what we just saw there in that passage above. And he explains it. And he says in verse 9, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. He's doing away with that first sacrificial system to establish because he is the real thing. The old system was not intended to be permanent. It was temporary. It was symbolic of what was to come. It was but a mere shadow, just a mere black and white photo of the reality of Jesus Christ. Christ came and he was the perfect fulfillment of that shadow. And as you look at all that's laid out in the book of Leviticus and the book of Exodus, all of those things point to Jesus Christ. I think the greatest thing that my Bible set, my Bible school did, my senior year, we studied the book of Leviticus, one hour, and the next hour we studied the book of Hebrews. Because that is the point of the book of Hebrews, is showing why Jesus Christ is far, far superior to the sacrificial system. We see in the book of Hebrews that Christ is the fulfillment of that sacrificial system. And as we walked through that two hours every day, we would see that and how that was laid out and how that fit together. And it's such an amazing picture as you look at that and see how it is. And because of what Christ has done, we are sanctified and we are set aside and placed in a right standing with God because of what Jesus Christ did. Look at verse 10. It says, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Once and for all. The old system did not make anybody holy. The old system was simply a reminder of sin, a reminder that we're not holy. Reminded that death is the consequences of sin. 
Because if you brought that lamb in, you saw that lamb die and bleed, a reminder of the penalty of sin. It didn't cover sin or didn't do away with sin. It just was a reminder of sin. Christ came as the fulfillment of that shadow. That temporary symbolic system was just a mere shadow. But Christ came as a fulfillment of that shadow and, sat and, and satisfied the wrath of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. You see, Jesus Christ was born into this world perfectly holy, without sin. Tempted in every way, but was found without sin. And as he went to the cross, the sins of the world were placed upon him. He paid the penalty. He was that perfect sacrifice for our sins. Why did he do that? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. The old system did not make us holy. The death of Christ can make us holy. If we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and recognize him as our sacrifice for our sin, we can be forgiven. Because he paid the price. And anyone who comes unto him receives that forgiveness. Whosoever, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Romans 10, 13 shares that with us. To be sanctified is to be set apart to God. God did that for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2, 9 says this, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. God put himself into his creation. He experienced life as a human being so that he could be that perfect sacrifice, so that he could pay our sin debt. It is permanent when a person places their faith in Christ, we are set apart in Christ, in Christ alone. Our faith placed in anything else doesn't set us apart. Our faith must be placed in Christ, in Christ alone. It's important that we don't leave Jesus in a manger. It's amazing to me as I go into public squares and I hear the gospel message being proclaimed through Christmas carols. Nobody even thinks about it. Nobody even recognizes it. But Jesus Christ didn't stay in that manger. Everybody likes to sing about him and, and celebrate him in the manger. But thankfully, he didn't remain in the manger. Thankfully, he grew up. Thankfully, he went to Calvary. Thankfully, he was more important than just a good teacher. He had a greater mission than just to be an upstanding citizen. Jesus Christ came into this world, tabernacled among us, so that he could die for us and be our sacrifice. He came into this world and lived his life, not to be served, but to be a ransom for many. That's what Jesus did for us.
the triumph of Christ's sacrificial death is what makes his birth so beautiful. So there you have it. The shadow and the substance. So what do we take home from this? What do we apply to our Christmas season? I think the most important question we can ask ourselves is what have you done with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he just in a manger? Is he the first thing that you break out for Christmas and set on the end table or underneath the television set? What have you done with the Lord Jesus? If we just placed him in a manger, we've not done enough with him. If we've just placed him in a manger, we've missed out. Jesus did not remain in that manger. He did not remain in Bethlehem. Jesus made his way to Calvary. So let us, this holiday season, worship him and adore him. Not as a baby in a manger, but as the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of our sins, the Savior of our souls, the one who redeemed us. Let us rejoice in God's perfect plan of redemption. Let us celebrate in God with you.